Do you have a Bible with you today? Open it up, turn it on, far right-hand side of the Bible is the book of Titus. We are looking at a letter from the Apostle Paul to one of his disciples, Titus, on the island of Crete. As you are finding Titus chapter 1, this is part 2 of the text we looked at last week in verses 5 through 9. I look out and I see some faces I don't know, so maybe today is your first day entering. But uh, let's say all of you, it was your first day and you came in to visit here at this church and you were greeted by one of the elders, the overseers of the church. And as this elder greeted you, All he did was continue to talk about himself, and he continued to brag about everything that he does well, and he asked no questions about who you are or why you are here. And then when he's done talking, he says, why don't you interpret for me uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And as you begin to tell uh, this elder about that, uh, he punches you in the nose, He gets very violent and and angry and he yells at you because he says you're incorrect and I'm going to correct you. And then when he's done correcting you, he says, by the way, you owe me $50 because I am worthy of uh, that pay. All the while, he has been slurring his words with the smell of alcohol upon his breath. Imagine if that's how you're greeted by an elder or an overseer in a church that you come to gather to worship the Lord God Almighty. Some of you say, well, that's ridiculous. But in this world, there is nothing ridiculous or out of the question because of the sinfulness of mankind. But what we understand from Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, which we began last week, is that God has set a very high bar for the men that he calls to shepherd his church. And as we saw last week and as we'll see today, we see these traits, these requirements, these characteristics to even serve in that position. He does not say that these men are flawless. He writes to Timothy and says they aspire to this, but they are men who there is evidence of a holy character in their lives that is in accordance with Scripture as what we read in Titus This morning as we read Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9, the scriptural truth that we see is that God's leaders must model Jesus' high standards for believers to follow. Beginning in verse 5, Paul writes, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it, the word of God. Again, do you know that we are blessed to have the words of God to read? That we can grow in our understanding of God and his work of salvation in our lives? 
and to have these wonderful truths that this is not just written to Titus at Crete in that time, but this is for the church in general. As when you have read through the book of Titus, you will see there's a, a greeting at the end for the whole church. And I know that a few weeks ago when we began Titus, a number of you told me, hey, I read Titus this week, and I read it a couple times this week, but I encourage you, continue to read it weekly so that you would see this and grow in your understanding. Again, Father, we pray that you would bless this reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we focused in on verses 5 through 6, and we ended our time, and we said we'd return to verse 7 this week. But know and remember that Paul is charging Titus with the same uh, charge that he charged Timothy. If you were here last week in the bulletin, it said, read these texts this week. Again, it's on there. It should be again. Read through 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And know that when I say the word elders, overseers, bishops, pastors, shepherds, I'm using them interchangeably for the same person, the man of God that we see qualified here, who is an under-shepherd of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. We saw last week that in this charge that uh, a church, as they are seeking elders and elders are being identified in a church, that elders are not uh, to be appointed because they're a great businessman or because they're great at communication They're not to be appointed to the position of elder or overseer because they've been a part of a church for a long time. Elders are not to be appointed in a position of leadership in the church because they can get a lot of work done or they have a lot of wisdom or they're great with handling finances. Elders in the church are to be appointed because as 1 Timothy chapter 3 is they aspire to the position The Holy Spirit has moved their hearts for that, and they are qualified. Not perfect, not flawless, but you see these qualifications evident in their life. So let us look at this, and as last week I reminded you, I remind you again. As we put under the microscope the man of God, the men of God in the church, the shepherd, and as we saw last week, that uh, other than when, uh, as James is writing or one of the apostles is writing and says, I, an elder, writing to the elders, it's always in this plural sense that the church is to have elders, a plurality of elders, and not just have one elder. But I reminded those of you who were here last week, as you read these qualifications, Examine your heart. As a Christian, a follower of Christ, are these characteristics evident in your life? Not just the men who are being called to this. So let's look at verse 7 and the first point, the required character of elders. The required character of elders. It says in verse 7, for an overseer, as God's steward must be above reproach. You might say, well, wait, we were talking about elders. He changes a term here, and now he uses the term overseer. It's the same men that he's talking about. He hasn't shifted to a new group of people. Elders, overseers, your version may say bishops, um, shepherds, but this word overseer uh, is speaking of the elders, which we read of in verse 5 and 6. We referenced Acts chapter 20 last week, and I believe on Sunday night two weeks ago, we looked at the text when 
Um, the Apostle Paul said goodbye to the elders at Ephesus that he charged those men with shepherding the flock and guarding and guiding and feeding them. We have the same group of men that are spoken of, and it says that they must be above reproach in verse 7. If you were here, you would say, well, wait, didn't we cover this last week? Yes, we did. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, it says, if anyone is above reproach. It's the same word that's used. It's repeated in verse 7. And so if it's repeated, you should pay attention to it and take note that there is a heavy weight on the integrity of the men who are to be the overseers of the church. Again, to be above reproach, it means blameless or unimpeachable, that they are above integrity. This word overseer, the word bishop there, Episcopos in the Greek is a man charged with the duty of seeing that things that are done by others are done rightly and done correctly. So again, this is adding to what we already saw, that the elders are to uh, see what the others in the body of Christ do and to make sure that those things are done rightly and correctly with the Word of God. It can also mean a curator, a guardian, or a superintendent. But elders, pastors, shepherds are not to be CEOs. They're not to be running or overseeing the church is like a business. They are to shepherd the flock, to show the same care that you read of the great shepherd in John chapter 10, in who he laid down his life for the sheep. Elders are called to that same care for the body of Christ. But words are important. Look at verse 7. For as an overseer, as God's what? This version says steward. Must be above reproach. The word steward is important there. It means a manager of a household or a manager of the household affairs on behalf of the owner. And so the steward works for the owner, is owned by the owner in that sense of being a servant or a slave. And so the owner of the house entrusts all of that he has in his affairs and the care of his people, his financial dealings, the, the, the duty of even dealing out the proper portions to all the other servants of the house, even the care of the youngest children, which could include discipline, is given to the steward. And so when you see that an overseer, it says God's steward, are to manage the house of God. It's important to see that these things are done correctly within the church. And if you missed it, we are forced to ask the question, who is the owner of the steward? Who is the owner of the household? And it tells us, it says God's steward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the owner of his church, and he has stewards, he has overseers, he has elders, which he places in his church for the care of his people, and they shepherd the flock under Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. Titus tells us in chapter 2, if you look on chapter 2 there, verses 13 through 14, it says, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous 
for good works. What a wonderful passage of Scripture to read. Because it tells us that Jesus, who is the owner of the house, is the one who has purchased the house. He has purchased his people. He went to the cross and shed his blood so that he would save his people from his sins. And so the steward, the overseer, the elder who is under the great shepherd is to have a great care and a great concern for the people of God because it's God's people, not the elder's people. And the weight lies heavily upon the elders of the church because they know if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you read Hebrews chapter 13, that the elders will give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ of how they shepherded his flock entrusted to them. And for being an elder in the church, that is a lot of weight to think that as a steward, when you read of Jesus and the parables of the steward, the manager, and they stand before the manager and owner, he's like, what did you do with what I gave you? Oh, I hid it in the ground. <clears throat> Master, I multiplied it. The elders will stand and have to give an account to how they managed and stewarded the household of God rightly and correctly. And that is quite a weight. If you read First Peter chapter 5, Peter speaks of elders as shepherds and shepherding the flock. And it says in verses 1 through 4, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so again, any man who aspires to the office of elder faces the weight of of the care that they must show, the love that they must show for the flock. And on top of that, we see that there are a list of things that must not be in their life and things that must be in their life. Let us look back here at verse 7 of Titus chapter 1 and the second point that elders and overseers must not be. Paul says in verse 7, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Look there at chapter 1 in Titus. Here's some descriptions of people in Crete, false teachers that are, Paul is warning Titus of. It says in verse 10, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. It goes on in verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul says this testimony is true. 
So think about the pool that Titus is looking in these different cities on the island of Crete where believers, where people are coming to faith and the church is beginning. He has to sort through this pool of lazy gluttons and greedy people. And Paul says, yes, they're liars. They're false teachers. You want to know how to sort them out? You want to know how you find those men of God as the Lord directs you? Well, look at these qualifications. Arrogant. First one, he must not be arrogant. Elders must not be men who assert their will, will with disregard to others in a prideful, arrogant manner. That they are to be men who are humble, looking to the example of Christ, the greatest example of humility, and that should be evident in their life. It says, not to be, they must not be quick tempered. They must not be easily provoked. They can't have a short fuse. They can't be hotheads. They can't be prone to anger. A number of years ago, being at a church, there was a man who loved to get up at men's breakfasts. And one time he got up and he was supposed to do announcements. And what he would do at these times is he would berate the men in the room. And he would begin to yell at the men in anger. And he would yell at men face to face in anger. And one time I approached him and he was serving as a deacon in the church. And we were looking at even the qualifications of deacons. And I said, look... You are a hothead. You have a quick temper. All you do is yell at these men. And you know what he said? It's because I'm from New Jersey. (laughs) And then he said also, well, it's also my ethnicity. I was like, Scripture is clear. doesn't matter where you were born, where you lived, or what your ethnicity. Scripture is clear. You're not to be a hothead, quick-tempered man who is ready to yell and scream at everyone because the men are not doing what you think they should be doing. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, in chapter 2, verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Uh, This man that I speak of, he was looking for a quarrel and would be incited to anger quickly. Some of you were here when we finished, or we went through the book of James, which we finished just a few weeks ago. And if you go back to months ago to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, James said this, which we read, Know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to what? Speak, slow to what? Anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So not only does the elder be a person who is not quick-tempered and quick to anger, but that's a general declaration to all believers. And some of you may need to ask the question of yourself. In your homes, in your marriages, as a single person, Am I quick-tempered and angry? Am I incited to anger quickly? Not just the elders and the call, but the person of God. Well, if you look back here, verse 7, not to be arrogant, not to be, must not be quick-tempered, and must not be a drunkard. They must not be addicted to wine or alcohol. The question is not how much can an elder drink, and then there's a line there. He has freedom in Christ. 
the, uh, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, he's like, hey, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach for frequent ailments. There, at church, there is not a problem for the believer drinking alcohol, as we saw in Ephesians chapter 5, but Scripture is very, very clear. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, do not get what? Drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the number of times that Christians are like, preach it, pastor. I want to be able to drink that alcohol. And okay, great. But the problem happens that I believe many times leads to the person becoming the drunkard is there is no line drawn. The difference between losing control of your senses and your judgment. I've heard this for years. Well, I just have something to drink because I'm stressed after work. Pastor, I was way too stressed out, so I drank way too much. I've heard others say, well, I just drinking some to get that buzz but not go over to this line. And the number of people who cross that line and cross that line and they become a drunkard who's addicted and they have to have those drinks daily just so they can knock the edge off and say, oh, I'm not addicted at all. But again, I think that there then is a consumption of alcohol, which is not a godly reason. So for the elder or the believer, the freedom in Christ to drink that is there. But there would be a great warning for anyone that aspires to elder and a warning for every single one of you that you would guard that. And you would be led by the Holy Spirit and not by alcohol. And so the elders are not to be, must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard. And they must not be violent, or your version may say pugnacious. They must not be a fist fighter or a bruiser or someone ready for a fight who is just ready to be quarrelsome, either with verbal words and have a great fight that way or physically. Again, imagine the elders of a church gathering together for an elders meeting when they are to pray for the church and to consider the needs of the church and they get in a fist fight in the room and they start throwing chairs or they just start cussing one another out or yelling at each other. An elder must not be violent verbally or physically. And then the end of that list of the must-nots is greedy. The man of that to be an elder and overseer must not be greedy. He must not be uh, fond of sordid gain or your version may say filthy lucre, that there is not to be any shameful greed and it ties into what we just read in Titus about the Cretans who are about the greed and the money and having those things. And this is a great temptation for men who aspire to the office of elder as they care for the church and they have to give an account not only to the souls of God in the sense as they shepherd the flock. They can't save anyone. But also, as elders are to care for the flock and to make sure that the needs are taken care of financially, that sometimes there is a great temptation which can lead to greed and men in the churches stealing from the house of God, from the church of God. Verse 11 of Titus 1, which we'll come to you next week, again, addresses the false teachers. They're greedy. 
These are the men that you must not put into a place of authority in the church, Titus. It's the same for today. Discovery Alliance Church should not place any men into the position of elder if they don't qualify from Scripture here. And so those are the must-nots of verse 7. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. The third point is elders must be. We have the must-nots, and you might say, well, that's great. Okay, we've got this list here, but here is what must be evident also in their life. Verse 8, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Again, overseers of God's house are to shepherd the flock with great care. So hospitality, being hospitable, being generous to guests or, or giving help to someone in need. This is the description of the hospitable man of God. That they would give their time, their resources, their encouragement. That they would uh, do what they do out of concern. A true concern for the body of Christ. Hospitality should be a part, it should be evident in their life. It says a lover of good. Loving goodness. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. A great description of an elder who is a lover of good is right here in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 8, the apostle Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Church, we must not just think or reflect upon these things, but these are a description from Scripture of loving goodness. Those are the things that we should love and desire. Is that evident? Because it must be in the elder's life. So they must be hospitable, they must be a lover of good, they must be self-controlled or sensible of sound mind that in they are sane in their senses, that they are curbing their desires and their impulses to be self-controlled or disciplined. When you think of an athlete as they discipline themselves so that they can win that race or they can, uh, this activity, this event, uh, that they can win that prize, that there is discipline that goes into to those uh, uh, before they ever show up for the event. The days, the weeks, the months, the times off-season that they're constantly training themselves is this sense of self-control, and that is to be evident in the elder's life, in the overseer's life. And again, church, it should be evident in your life as a follower of Christ. And so the self-controlled overseer is one who avoids foolishness. It says they must be upright or they must be just. It means to be righteous, observing or keeping the commands of God. That they are in a sense to be fair in their understanding with other people, reflecting God's just character and how he deals perfectly because he is a perfectly just God that the elders are to strive to have that upright, just character in how they steward and manage 
the church of God. They are to be holy or devout, undefiled by sin, free from wickedness and pure. It doesn't say sinless. Again, these men of God who aspire and fulfill the qualifications, they still battle with sin. Day in and day out, they are tempted to sin. It's not only until the day that they die and their soul goes to heaven and their soul is perfected in holiness that they're free from that. And the day of glorification, one day their body is joined with their soul and to no longer have any sin. What a day that is for the believer. But while we walk the earth, the elder, the overseer, battles the temptation of sin. I was so thankful for a sister in Christ who told me in the lobby as I came through right before I entered. She said, Pastor, I've been praying for you this week. Thank you. I know you pray, church, but pray ever more all the time for the elders of the church that we would constantly be seeking Jesus Christ, that we would be living examples of Christ in us, that as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, that we would be found men who would stand before the Lord, that people would look at the elders of the church and see Christ in them. Pray for us to be holy and devout. And then it says discipline. Again, connected back to self-controlled one who watches his life closely, one who is confessing his sins before the Lord, and one who walks with integrity of the heart. And so we have this must-nots, and we have this must-bes, but you can't stop with verse 9. So you have an elder who aspires to the position, an elder who fulfills these qualifications And he's brought before the elders of the church and he's being examined. And before he's commissioned and the elders pray and lay hands on him, you must not skip verse 9. It says he must hold firmly to the trustworthy what? Word in this version here. To the word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Three weeks ago when we began this series, one of the things that we identified from the book of Titus is that we are to be a people that hold to the sound doctrine of God and we are to be people who protect that. And that is what the charge of the elders are to do in the household of God And so the elders of the church must hold firm to the trustworthy word of God. It means to cling to, to endure, to think about studying the word of God, that you would strongly cling to it, that you would endure in the study of God. This is the work of the elders that they are to do if they're going to lead correctly and rightly and discern that they would spend their time in the word of God. And not just them, but every single one of you. That's why every week I say, read the Bible. Every week we chuckle about it, but I'm like, Go read Romans this week. Go read this, go read this chapter. And by the end of the service, you're, people are like, Pastor, I don't know if I can even get through this this week. Read the Word of God. Because the Word of God is life to us. It's truth. And the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and teach you the truth of God that you would live accordingly. 
That is why it's so important that the elders of the church would hold firmly to the word of God. This is no area of compromise whatsoever. So a man may come through and be examined by the elders of the church and he's presented to the elders of the church. But if he compromises in the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no pass. The gate should be closed. Maybe he goes and he's discipled and he learns and grows. Maybe he's still an elder down the road. But today, if he does not hold firmly to the word of God, he does not get a pass to be an under-shepherd of God. And so as the elders are to hold firm to the word of God, as believers are to hold firm to the word of God, we ask the question, what is that? It is the words of God on the pages of Scripture. But as Jesus rose on the third day, and as he was on this road walking with two disciples, and he's like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, do you know what happened? And he goes, tell me. And they don't even know it's Jesus. And they're like, did you see what happened? Jesus died, and he went, they went on all these things. It's like, woe is me. And he goes, hold on, guys. And Jesus begins in Luke chapter 24 and he teaches them and says, everything that was written in the law and the prophets are about me. And he begins to open their eyes and then he reveals himself to them and he's gone in a moment. And so the elders of the church, the believers of the church, as you hold firmly to the word of God, you must be reminded that all of it is about Jesus. It is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ is that every single one of us born into this world are sinners deserving the wrath of God. Every single one of us have inherited the sin passed down from Adam. And therefore, before a holy God, we are a sinner. We are a transgressor. We are one who is, who is not holy, and God is holy, and we are not. And therefore, there is a great need for the sinner to have a Savior. Because God's word is clear. The wrath of God is meant for the sinner. And as Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 6 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the consequence of sin is death. And it's not just eternal death in the place of hell, but it's eternal death in the place of hell with the wrath of God the Father upon them forever. And that's why every week, church, you need to turn to Jesus because he's the only one that can spare you from the wrath of God the Father. And therefore, as we look to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the church, Jesus Christ, obeyed the Father and he came and was born fully God, fully man. And he went to the cross where he was nailed through his hands and his feet. And there he bore the wrath of God the Father meant for his people. And he shed his blood for his people so that he would save his church from their sins. And as Horrible, the crucifixion. As horrible, the mocking and the scourging 
and the spitting in his face and the pulling out of the beard and the beating him over the head with the crown of thorns upon him. Those are horrendous things. He bore the wrath of God, his Father, upon himself because he loves his church so greatly. Praise the Lord. And the wonderful thing is it doesn't end there. Jesus Christ did bleed so that sins of his people could be removed. But he was taken off of that tree, off of that cross, and he was placed in the tomb, right? And he was there. And on the third day, what happened? He arose. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Tomorrow is Resurrection Monday. Believers, you should celebrate that Jesus Christ is not dead every single day of the year and every single moment of your day. And Jesus Christ, in that conquering Satan and conquering sin and conquering death, was witnessed by his followers as he ascended to heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and reigning. And believer, adopted child of God, he interacts for you now. And he said, I'm coming back. He's returning once, coming back in the future, and we will see him in all of his glory. And believers, again, will be made perfect in their soul with no sin, perfect body without sin, glorification, the inheritance, as 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us, that is set before us, that is not fading. It will never rust away. It will never fall apart. And it's for God's people who he has saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Church, that is the message from the word of God that every elder, overseer, shepherd, bishop, pastor must cling close to, tightly with the death grip that it would be declared to the ends of the earth so that God would save his people from their sins. And the reason why you need to pray for your elders and pray for other believers as they hold to the gospel is because the enemy is very real and persecution comes to all who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore we must pray and ask for the Lord to continue to protect his people as he does. And so... Elders, if you go back to verse 9 here, we'll look at this last few things. It says that they may, so that they may be able to give instruction. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll see this. A requirement of an elder is that they must be able to teach. It doesn't mean that they're always up being the one who's preaching or teaching. We looked at some of this last week, but they must be able to do that. They must be able to teach you in the Word of God. They must be able to stand before the people of God. And it does not say they must be the best speakers, the most polished people, the people who can like just wow an audience. They must be able to simply say, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul said, here's the most important thing that I've taught you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins according to scriptures. He was buried and rose again on the third day. According to scriptures, elders must be able to give an explanation of the gospel and the word of God. 
And as they grow in the word, the Holy Spirit will continue to build them up in that knowledge and they will apply that in their life and teach it to the body of Christ. But this requirement must not be ignored of any elder in any church, God's household. It must be evident in their life. So a church must take seriously this text. And they must hear what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. He says in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he writes to Timothy, another one that he discipled, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And then if you go to chapter 5 and verse 22, he says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Too many local gatherings of the body of Christ see a need for leadership in the church and hastily lay hands and commission men to the office of elder, not testing them according to the scriptures. And then what happens is much disarray in the church. What happens is false teachers who rise up through the church. And so as last week we saw and today, it may be to you a very serious sober message but it is and therefore church you must pray for the elders and you should pray for one another that not only the elders of the church would have this evidence in their life but each of you as well and so the last thing I thought about is Titus on Crete with uh as Paul wrote, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gut, gluttons. And he says, this testimony is true. It's like, Paul, where do you want me to find these guys? If all these Cretans live this way, I don't want any of them on an elder board at a church. And you must know two things. Not one elder can be qualified or do any of these things apart from Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit doing that work in them. Do not expect any elder in the church to try to work this up in themselves, to try to in, improve this area just so they can qualify for the next year. It is God who does the work in your life and mine. It is the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who causes us to walk in holiness is the Holy Spirit doing a sanctifying work in these men who serve the body of Christ and as they continue to serve, that they're growing in their sanctification and knowledge of Christ and applying that in their life. And so there is no worry in one sense with Titus going, where do I find these men? Because it's not his church. It's Jesus Christ's church. And so the great shepherd, he will bring his men at the right time with the qualifications because he cares for his church. And as he charges these men as under shepherds, Christ will protect his church. Christ will build his church. And it is according to his plan, his way, and his will. Therefore, we should not fret. And at the same time, we should be humbled 
that we would pray and ask him to do and continue that work that we would see it evidence in this church and in the churches around us who hold the gospel of Jesus. Now one thing I also add to this as well. There's two passages here in Hebrews. As you think of the elders in the church who fulfill these qualifications, who are not perfect, but they cling to the word of God, the gospel, and they preach and they teach these things and they guide in it. Hebrews tells us this in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Again, the apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But if you go to verse 17 of Hebrews 13, church, here's something to pay attention to. People don't like this verse. It says, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. On Sunday nights, we're coming to the end of 1 Peter chapter 5, and you should join us tonight as we come to the last few verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. But we saw Peter address three different uh, people that the people of God in 1 Peter are to submit to. And he talked about the governing leaders, and he talked about a husband and a wife, and he talked about the church. And here again, people in the church do not like the word, submit to your leaders. Yes, no, no. Some of you are like, I don't want to say anything. I know those guys, or I had this experience before. Those guys aren't perfect. I'm supposed to obey them. I'm supposed to submit to them. I mean, again, look at what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. If they are keeping watch over their souls correctly, then they're reading the Word of God, and they're leading as the Holy Spirit gives them wisdom and discernment. If they are out of line from Scripture, church, you better have your Bible open. If they're a bunch of Cretans, then you should tell them, you're a Cretan, you're a liar, you're a lazy glutton. Look at what Scripture says. You're not preaching to me the gospel. You're not teaching me the truth. That's why, church, you need to read the Word. And don't wait for me or someone to get up here and preach on Sunday. Don't wait for that small group during the week. Yes, gather at those times, but read the Word of God. Too many elders in too many churches Shepherd the flock of God and groan. And many times it's uh, a history of unhealthy leadership. But if you're going to submit to the elders that God places in the church, look to their life. Look to the scripture. God's given you his plan. And if they're out of line, go to them humbly and say in scripture, Here's what scripture says. There's always so much more. But we'll bring this to a close here. And know that God's leaders must model Jesus' high standards for believers in the body of Christ to follow. For yourself this week, as you pray for the elders, as you pray for future elders in this church, would you look at this list for yourself as well? As you pray for the men of God that he would bring, would you pray and examine your own heart? Am I arrogant, Lord? Am I quick-tempered? Am I a drunkard? Am I violent or, 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 or greedy? Am I hospitable of others? Am I a lover of good, self-controlled? 
God, am I, am I upright? Am I holy? Am I disciplined? I mean, this is a list, church, that you should ask of yourself this week. That as you pray for the elders and we pray for you, that you would pray for one another, that the body of Christ would walk in holiness and that we would live according to Scripture. And so let us pray. And as we pray, if you've been here today, this morning, you've heard the gospel preached to you, and you have a responsibility to respond to Christ or not. And Romans chapter 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. For anyone to be saved, they must confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that Christ was raised from death to life, and you will be saved. I can't give you any fancy words, a prayer to pray, a card to fill out. Simply look to Romans 10 and confess Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he's raised from death to life, and the Holy Spirit does a work, and he, Christ saves us. And if you're a follower of Christ, would you pray with me right now for all the elders? Father, we um, desire to be people in your household who love you, who are walking in holiness, who are following after you. And we know we fail all the time. And so, Father, we pray that you would fill us up Holy Spirit, you would direct us from your words to be applied in our life, that as we look at this list of must-bes and must-nots, that we would look at our hearts and see if these things are evident in our life. And Father, if they're not, would you help us and move in us and sanctify us and cause us to grow in maturity in these areas? Father, I pray for all the men who are serving in this church. I thank you for the elders, the overseers. I pray that you would protect them, myself, and our families. We pray that you would help us to have a great high regard for your word and the gospel. And it would be evident in our life that you're working in us. And Father, for my brothers and sisters here, I pray that Christ would be evident in them. Jesus Christ the hope of glory. And Father, for all those who are lost, that have heard the gospel, that you're calling to yourself, we pray that you would save them and today would be the day of salvation. May you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.